All right, we're talking about covenant this morning. We're talking specifically about Abraham's covenant. In just a second, John's going to read to us from Genesis chapter 12, and he's also going to read some verses from Genesis chapter 15. This is a very important covenant, uh, and it's, it's important for a lot of different reasons. And one of the reasons is, is that Abraham himself, everybody, in multiple places in the Bible, he is called the father of all those who have faith. He's the father of the faithful. Maybe you've said this before. You know somebody who has said this about something before. They say, hey, look, there is a man of faith. Look at that person. That's a That's a real man of faith. Or, hey, look, that person, that's a real woman of faith. And it seems like people have a picture in their head. I have a kind of a picture in my head. I notice that other people seem to have a picture in their head. Here's what faith looks like. Now, here's the really cool thing about this morning. Here's the picture. The picture of faith, according to the Bible, is Abraham. Abraham's the picture of faith. He is the father of faith. So faith would look like Abraham. There is the correct picture. So follow along as John reads from Genesis 12 and also Genesis chapter 15. Take it away, John. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will be, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Thank you, John. So uh, these incredible things that happen in Abraham's life, think about this. He gets these incredible promises and blessings, spiritual stuff, family stuff, financial stuff, kind of career stuff, his life, his purpose, all of these incredible blessings that he experiences, he would have never received them unless he was willing to launch out in faith. Like, so unless he said, okay, I'm willing to go. God says, I want you to go. Just start walking. I'm not going to tell you where to go. Just follow me. Trust me. Unless he was willing to launch out and move. Just think about that. All the incredible stories, all the blessings, all the purpose, all the great things would have ended right. They would have all been on hold unless he was willing to move. And what I recognize as I read through the story of Abraham, you read it from Genesis 12, it goes all the way up to chapter 22, 23 of Genesis, is as you look at his life, the father of the faith, faith seems a lot like exercise. Like the guy is on the move constantly. You see him walking, leaving. He's shooing birds away. He's cutting things in half. He's sweating. He's working. He's working out. Faith to me, if you read the story of Abraham, looks a lot like exercise, which is why we call today's message just exercise. If he's not willing to move out in faith, all the covenant promises are put on hold right there. Well, what about us? 
How about those of us that are here this morning? Like, hey, well, I could use some blessings in my life. I could use some answers to prayer in my life. What if the only thing that's standing in the way is us actually being willing to move out in faith? What if it is? What if it is, everybody, that God is waiting on us to say, hey, God, whatever it takes, grow my faith. What if that's it? What if it's not, hey, God, I'm just waiting around for you. Would you please show up and do something? What if God is waiting around on us, waiting for us to do something, waiting for us to say, hey, God, whatever it takes, grow my faith. This is a very interesting story and a picture of faith. And it's a lot different from the picture that I have in my head a lot of times of what faith looks like. When I say, hey, there's a man of faith, there's a woman of faith. A lot of times the picture I have in my head is of somebody who's rock solid, steady, certain, not shaken. But what happens when you exercise? Like you get sweaty, you get smelly, right? Your hair is all disheveled. You look like a wreck. You're bending over, grabbing your shorts. You're shaking. You ever seen somebody shake? Uh, throw up. Anybody on a team that the coach, like they didn't feel like they had practice till somebody threw up in the practice. Has anybody had a coach like that? Y'all should have had a coach like that. I had a coach like that. He was a basketball coach, but he was a track guy. He's a track. He didn't really know anything about basketball at all. So he just like punished us, made us run like crazy, sent a guy to a hospital one day, but he felt like we didn't have practice till somebody threw up. That's exercise. You're shaking. You're sweating. You're smelly. And this is what we see of Abraham, man. He's on the move. He's being stretched. He doesn't have it all solid together. He's not, he's not like, whoo, man, we got this thing. We're buttoned down tight. No, we see, uh, we see a different picture from Abraham. Let me give you some highlights, okay? And there's more. I could give you more, but let's just do some highlights from his life. So Abraham shows great faith when God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just start moving, start walking, start exercising, and I'll guide you. He shows great faith when he takes off and he goes to the land. Now, he shows a great lack of faith when he gets to the land, and right after he gets to the land, a famine breaks out. And believe me, that's not a coincidence. God says, here's the land. I'm going to bless you in this land. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to have a lot of kids. It's going to be awesome. This is the land I have for you. He gets to that land. He's in the land. He's like, woo, and the faith is great and everything's going. Famine breaks out. He's like, see you later, land. I'm taking off. He heads down to Egypt. He shows a great lack of faith. The father of the faith shows a great lack of faith when he leaves the land. He shows a great lack of faith when he says to Pharaoh, who, Sarah? No, no, no. Uh, She's my sister. Don't kill me. He says, Sarah, his wife, says, no, no, she's my sister. She's not my wife. Don't kill me. Treat me well. Shows a great lack of faith. He shows great faith when he returns back to the land that God told him to be in. And he says, oh, God, please forgive me. And he calls on the name of the Lord. Showing faith, showing lack of faith. He's back and forth. He's all over the place. He shows great faith when he gives God 10% of his income. He shows great faith when he enters into the covenant. He shows great faith when he believes God's promise that he would have a son. And he shows a tremendous lack of faith when he sleeps with his wife's maid in order to have that son. Faith, no faith, back and forth. He's all over the place. He's shaky. Faith is messy, and it definitely isn't safe, everybody. The picture in my mind is that faith is safe, but the picture of Abraham is that faith is not safe. It is a very messy thing. I want to show you a video clip, and I just want to set this clip up for you real quick, okay? It's a clip about a guy. He's an insurance guy, and by his very nature, he's into safety. He's into certainty. He's into, hey, everything needs to be buttoned down and right. And he doesn't like to take risks. None of that. He's not, he's not into all that. But then he meets this girl. 
And when he meets this girl, he realizes in order for the relationship to continue, that he's going to have to be willing for some uncertainty. He's going to have to be willing for, for things to not be safe and not be clean all the time, that things are going to get real messy. He's got to be willing to do that. By the time you get to the end of the movie, this guy who's like a real germaphobe, he's down on the sidewalk of a dirty city on the sidewalk, picking up food, and he eats it in front of her to prove to her I'm willing to get messy in order for this relationship to continue. The clip I want to show you is like halfway through it. They're going to see they're exercising, and hopefully you'll make the connections. Let's watch the clip. Hey, you guys want to play some twos? You know what? Actually, we're kind of in the middle of a conversation. Did you bring your A game? What was that? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Sasquatch. Let's get it on. Take it roll! Take it roll! I'm burning. My lungs are burning. Come out. Come out. So why do you think Polly's so wrong for me? You don't even know this girl, Ruben. You haven't seen her since seventh grade. How different could she be? I mean, she was a senior delegate at the Model UN. She was in the chess club. She was a math leaf. I mean, her, her yearbook stats are really impressive. Did she see a tattoo on her back? Yeah? So what? Mathletes don't wear body art like that. Enough said. Ball in! I really feel like I ran into Polly for a reason. Really. I mean, I'm sorry if you don't agree, Sandy, but I happen to believe in a little thing called destiny. You guys ready? You know what? Do you think maybe you could put your shirt back on? You guys ready to play? Hey, you know what? Can we switch? Oh, I'd rather not, dude. I just found out how to cover this man right here. See, exercise is really messy. It's not safe, it's dirty, it's sweaty. And the picture that we have of Abraham, the father of the faith, what faith looks like is that it's messy, it's dirty, it's sweaty, it's like exercise, and it's like sometimes you're bending over and you're, you're just breathing really hard. That's the picture that we get of Abraham of faith. So could you write this down? Faith isn't safe. I just want us to get out of our minds the idea that somehow faith is this safe thing. It's not. It's not this button-down thing. It's not safe. Maps. I like maps, right? You know why I like maps? Somebody, if they want to tell me where I'm going, they give me a map. And they say, hey, look, John, you're going right there. I say, okay. I'm holding the map. I control the map. I know where I'm going. It's safe. I worked for UPS for years, and we had a saying. UPS has a lot of sayings to drill in your head, like, over and over and over again. And I drove a package car for them, and they said, a plan day is a safe day. A plan day is a safe day. Well, here's the plan. So I feel safe. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. They say, Here, here's a map. Now you know where to go. Good luck. Have a great life. You know right where to go. You're in control. He doesn't do that. Instead, he calls me to be very unsafe. 
He calls me to live a life of risk that gets really messy. And he just says, follow me. And so God says the same, same thing to Abraham. He says, hey, buddy, start walking. And if he doesn't start walking, he misses out on this incredible blessing of the covenant that God has to offer him if he doesn't start walking. So we need to get out of our minds that somehow faith is safe. Um, one thing about uh, Abraham before we exit all faith is safe that I want to say. Though he blows it, the one thing you got to say about Abraham is he would keep returning to God. He'd say, God, I blew it. You know, Abraham falls off the faith wagon, but the thing about Abraham is he climbs back up on the faith wagon. The Bible says in Malachi 3, 7, says God, God says, return to me and I'll return to you. And Abraham returns. So when he blows it, he returns. He admits it and he returns. God, I'm sorry, I repent. Please forgive me. I'm returning. I wonder how many of us here this morning, because we've all blown it in the area of faith, simply need to say to God, God, I've blown it. I'm returning to you. Please forgive me. I'm repenting for what I've done. Please forgive me. Sometimes we just have this big wall and we're wondering, why is there this big wall? And why isn't God showing me this? Or why isn't God directing my life? And God, where are you? And what's going on? And God's up there saying, if you just come back, we'll make a go of things. And we think that we're waiting on God and God is waiting on us. That's a bad place to be. Some of us this morning simply need to return to God. And this is what Abraham does, and he does it so very well. Second thing I'd like you to fill in about faith is this. Faith isn't easy. Oh, my goodness. It is not easy. You just think about some of the stuff that Abraham went through. He, he gets into the land, the promised land, this land of God. I'm going to take this land. Immediately, a severe famine breaks out. Boom. I mean, that's not pleasant. That's not good. No, there's not food anywhere. All right? And then infertility. He struggles him and his wife with infertility. Then they got this invading army that comes in and they have a, a war that breaks out. It's not easy at all. And then think about this, his wife, Abraham's wife, she's so smoking hot that even kings are trying to steal his wife away from him. How many husbands here this morning say, I identify with that problem? Okay. All right, wait a minute. Uh, husbands, for those of you who are so foolish not to throw your hands up. <laughs> I'm going to give you another shot. But this time, I, I would suggest you go like this. Whoa, that's me over here, man. Hey, whoa, whoa. Chance to redeem me. One more time. Any, any husbands can identify with that? Woo, right here. That's me. That's me. I'm trying to help you out so that you're not dead before the sun goes down tonight. You understand? Okay. So um, all these struggles and then the birds. Did you catch it when John read that a minute ago? 15, Genesis 15, this huge moment, everybody. Look, the covenant with Abraham in the Bible... There's only one covenant that's bigger than that. That's the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. This is a big, big moment. This is a big celebration moment, huge moment in the Bible. And he's preparing. God says, God says to him, he says, get the heifer. Now, we're like, what does that mean, get the heifer? Well, that's like saying today, hey, go get a pen. We're ready to sign the contract. This would be like you, you know, you're all of a sudden going to sign this multi-million dollar contract because you're some great athlete. You grew up in poverty, and all of a sudden you're going to sign it. And so Abraham's like, whoa, this is huge amount. He has, he's out there, he's ready to go, and then all of a sudden a bunch of birds show up. And like, what is the deal with the birds? And he has to drive the birds away. Who's, who's writing this thing, Alfred Hitchcock? I mean, what's up with the birds? Well, one thing I really believe about the Bible is that nothing's random. I don't believe just all of a sudden we have birds. Okay, well, thank you for telling us about the birds. Let's move on. Okay, so what's up with the birds? Well, we find birds in a couple different places. I'm going to tell you about one of them and see if it doesn't make sense to you. 
In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is telling this famous parable about the soils. There's four types of soil. And he said, God drops the seed on soil. And the seed represents the wonderful things that God wants to do in our lives. The seeds drop, and then it's the start of something great, of wonderful that God wants to do in your life. So the seeds come, and then it says, all of a sudden, these birds show up, and they begin to steal the seeds away. And then Jesus explains the parable later. He says, you know, the birds, the bird, the birds are Satan. Because Satan is always right there ready to steal away what God wants to do in your life. And then it makes us ask this question. How many times in our life is God right there? He's wanting to do something in our lives. And then circumstances or a person, decisions that are made. Maybe I make a decision. Maybe I make a foolish decision. Maybe forces of darkness show up. Maybe it's a combination of all those four or five things happen. And instead of me shooing them away, I just let, I let it happen. And what we need to do is understand that faith isn't safe or easy. And it's like exercise and we have to drive the birds away. And that's what we see. That's what we see Abraham doing. And we have to get out of our mind that, oh man, safe is just this, faith, faith is just this really safe, easy thing. Faith just kind of happens. Faith doesn't happen to Abraham. He works for it. He exercises for it. This is the picture that we see of Abraham in the Bible. All right. Faith, everybody, finally is on the move. Faith is on the move. Abraham's faith is a going type of faith. Is your faith a going type of faith? He has a going type of faith. His faith is messy. Is your faith messy? You know, I was thinking... I saw this line around my house the other day. This is an exercise band, which I've never used in my life, right? Lying around the house. I saw it there. And the funny thing about exercise bands, everybody, you know, you actually have to use them for, the, for them to work, okay? Did you, it's incredible. That I thought I could just, I could buy it, put it in my house, and all of a sudden I'd start losing weight. But you actually have to pick it up, and you have to stretch it. You have to, do, you have to stretch it to make it work. It's the same thing with your faith. You got to do something with it. The question we have to ask ourselves, Abraham was really stretched. Are you and I willing to be stretched? Are we willing to say, hey, God, whatever it takes, grow my faith. Whatever it takes. Because if I do this long enough, I'm going to start sweating. And that's where we are with our faith with God. Isn't safe, isn't easy, but it is constantly on the move. I love this quote by Frederick Buechner. Got it on. Let's just read it off the screen here. Doubts. Our ants in the pants of faith, they keep it awake and moving. I thought that's pretty good. Because you see Abraham. He's running all over that desert. And he's like, whoa, man, what is going on? He is constantly on the move. Great faith, lack of faith, great faith, lack of faith. There's our faith father. That's the picture. Does your faith look like that? Because what I get out of the scripture is our faith is supposed to look like that. Because he's the father of faith. He's on the move. He's on the go. He's exercising. We have to exercise in order to keep things growing. God, whatever it takes, grow my faith. I want to tell you a quick story happened to me. There's often in my life that um, I'll pray, hey, God, uh, you know, are you there? Or I'll struggle or I'll be confused about something or I'll be asking for something and there's no movement. Maybe you've been there before in your life and I'm praying and praying and praying about something. There's no movement. And I'll say, man, God, are you, are you even there? Hey, what's going on? Where are you? Are you going to show up? Are, are you going to help? In the midst of that, many of the times I'll remember to pray. I'll say, hey, God, whatever it takes, 
go ahead and stretch my faith because I can't grow in my relationship with you. I can't experience the things that you want me to experience in my life. I can't experience the blessings and the promises and all of these things unless I'm willing to be stretched. And so I'll say, hey, God, whatever it takes, could you grow my faith? Could you help my relationship with you? And so it was a time in my life that I had done this. It was a, it was a, it was a few years back. And the things that, here's the thing that's so incredible is that when I pray that, I always have in my mind, maybe you're like me, I have in my mind, Here's how, the, here's how everything should pan out. Here's how the whole story should then play out. Well, then, obviously, God, if you're going to come through, then you're going to do this, this, and this. And it's beautiful. I got it all figured out. If God would just follow my plan, we would all be happy. Okay? But God comes along, and he surprises me. Here's the surprise. And so let me tell you about a surprise that happened to me. So I'm praying this, you know, God, grow my faith, and I'm stuck, and I've got all these issues and stuff like this. I go to this funeral. A friend of mine, his father... His father passed away and I'm sitting in the funeral and I'm minding my own business and I feel this strong, I don't know what you call it, prompting, movement, whatever. I feel this, tell your friend and his wife and his sister uh, what their father thought about them. Like just give them a message and God kind of prompted me with some things about about the father's thoughts who have now passed away, obviously. And I felt really strong about it when it hit me. You know, you know how those things are? You have this moment and you like, you feel like God is prompting you and then it, emotions get all wrapped up in it and like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Okay. Well, that was then. So then, then the funeral ends and I walk up, you know, to my buddy and my condolences and all that. And like, there's no way I'm doing this. You know, there's just no way in the world I'm going to do this. But I felt really bad about it. And so I go outside of the church and I just stand around and I like kick the wall for a few minutes. Like, God, should I do this? What do you think? I don't think so either. Let's go. And so, uh, <laughs> so I leave and I'm in the car and I'm like, okay, God, eh, I'm not sure this, you know, this, see, the problem is some people, some of you are like really extrovert and you would have no problem doing it. But this is, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me. It's not me. This is a huge stretch for me. Like, God, can't you ask somebody else to do it? Because I don't want to do it. And so I said, God, you know, for some reason, if this is you, then just, like, keep bringing it back to me. Like, over and over again, keep bringing it back to me. Well, doggone it, that's exactly what happened. And so this thing went on for what seemed like months to me. And I was sitting in the office on a Friday afternoon, and I had tremendous pressure. And my excuse to God is, I don't know, if God, if you want me to do this, and God, I don't have time. I mean, those two excuses worked for me for a long time with God on this issue. And finally, I'm sitting in the office. It's a Friday afternoon. I've got to turn in the sermon outline. I've got meetings. I have all kinds of pressure. It was like one of the busiest. Here's the weird thing. It's like one of the busiest days I'd had in a long time. It was super pressure. I had a lot of deadlines I had to meet. And all of a sudden, like gangbusters, here it comes. Send an email now. To your friend, his wife, and his sister. Gosh. So I do it, and I write up. It takes me 45 minutes to send this thing out. And it's not 45 minutes because it's a really long email. It's a really short email, but I'm like, I'm figuring out how to apologize all over the place because, hey, don't think I'm nuts and weird. Because the deal with my buddy, his dad wasn't a big talker. I really didn't know his dad that well. But his dad was the kind of person that for some reason I just connected with immediately. Like I would tell people that I could hear his dad talking when he wasn't even speaking. We had some kind of connection. And I felt like there was something that the father clearly wanted to say to his son, his daughter-in-law, and his daughter. And I was struggling with that. So anyway, I do this 45-minute email that really probably takes three minutes to read. And I send it, all this stuff. Boom, I hit the send button. It goes. Two minutes later, 
he emails me back. Two minutes later, he emails me back. And he says, hey, John. And he lives in a total another state. I didn't have any clue about what he's getting ready to write me. He said, John, today is the one-year anniversary of my father's death. I had no way. I had no idea. No clue. And I'm sitting at his grave reading this email that you've written. And then he writes me about the impact that it makes on him, but that's not why I'm telling you a story. When that happened, and I knew I had no way of knowing that he was sitting at the grave, and it's been one year from the death, I was like, whoa, maybe God does exist. Maybe God does speak. And it just, because I took that step totally out of my comfort zone, it like grew my faith. I sat there for probably five minutes just dumbfounded. Now, how many of us here this morning, God is just waiting on you to get out of your comfort zone? Maybe it's a decision you need to make. Maybe there's a relationship that you need to do something about. Maybe it has to do with your work. Maybe it has to do with forgiveness. Maybe it has to do with a habit. I don't know. What I do know is there always seems to be something that God is pushing us out of the comfort zone, out of that safety zone, and saying it's time for your faith to go on the move. Because unless your faith is going, it's not growing. And the only way we can experience all this stuff that God talks about in his word that he has for us is if our faith is going and growing. And that really spoke to me about this story of Abraham. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. Okay, we're going to change gears here for just a second because we need to do something about the covenant that plays into what's happening this morning. We're having communion. And so John Rich, who read the scripture, he's going to come on out and he's going to help us out with something. You know, we've been going through these covenant elements that, you know, a covenant ceremony had these 10 different elements we've been talking about. We've covered six of them. We're up to number seven. So let's do a quick review. John, come right on up. There's no reason to be afraid of everybody. This is John Rich. He's got his, he's from Texas. He has his nice cowboy boots on today. Everybody say hello to John. (laughs) Ah, very nice. Very nice. So um, if you remember, okay, and we're not going to go visually through it, but so there was the exchange of robes. We would exchange robes. That's the exchange of identities. The belts, which means like when I'm weak, John is strong and I get his strength. We're at it together. And there was the exchange of weapons. My enemies are your enemies. Your enemies are my enemies. Man, we're bond. We're like blood brothers, right? Okay. The exchange of names. So in this case, it would be John, John. Ah, that's simple. Okay. So, and then the walk of death. Remember the figure eight? John just read about it a second ago, right? He just read that a few moments. Genesis chapter 15. That was the walk of death that you see in the covenant ceremony. And then the mark on the body. So remember how they would strike hands, like hands, they would cut hands, right? They would cut their hands and they would mingle their blood and it was just like a shake. And then they would take that mark and rub something in it. So the mark would never go away. And then you'd say, Hey, if you want to mess with me, you got to know I got a covenant partner right here. So we're going to do a seventh one today. Write this down, please. The covenant meal, very important part of the covenant ceremony. You would have a covenant meal. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> In the covenant ceremony, they would feed each other. Who's ever entering into the covenant, they would feed each other. And the symbolism in that and feeding each other, I would feed John, John feed me. The symbolism is you are ingesting me and I am ingesting you, right? It's really primitive symbolism there. But, you know, you're ingesting me, I'm ingesting you, we're now one. You are in me, I am in you. And then, in many cases, they would drink from a common cup. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you something that they would do 
people that were followers of the Bible would not do this portion. Everybody would drink from the common cup, but people who did not follow the Bible would actually put a drop of their blood in the cup, both of them would, and they would drink this common cup. So people who followed the Bible wouldn't do that because God tells us clearly, don't, don't ever consume blood. So we're clear about that. But that was a, that's something that some people would do. The point is, is they would feed each other and they would drink from a common cup. Now I want to read you, stay right here, John. I'm going to read you from John chapter 6. And we'll see if we can make sense of this. This is Jesus Christ. And I'm wondering if you've ever read this before and it confused you or you said, hmm, what's up with that? Uh, what's going on here? Let's see if we can't clear some of this confusion up because this is all covenant language that's being spoken of here. John 6, Jesus is going to do most of the talking. All right, here's what it says. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. How does that, how does that make you feel? All right? I guess it makes you feel pretty good. All right. Uh, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. You get the, the ingesting, which we just talked about, right? Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread is going to do what? Live forever. I and you, you and me, ingesting the symbolism of feeding each other. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, Whoa, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware of this. His uh, disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? (laughs) Well, yes. Yes, it does. So here's the thing about this. We are kind of, can be kind of freaked out about this on a different level from what they would be freaked out. We read it and think, oh my gosh, eating flesh, drinking blood. What are we, vampires now? What's the deal, man? What's, go- what's going on here? Well, they understood it on a different level that we did. They understood exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about. He was talking about covenant. He was talking about this thing that I just said that John and I would do. He's talking about the element in the covenant ceremony where you would feed each other. Where you ingest each other, the drinking of the common cup and the feeding each other. Well, that made sense to them. The reason it offended them is like, oh, you're telling me I have to trust in you, Jesus. Like all the things that you've been teaching, I've got to trust in those things. That's why it offended them. But it didn't offend them over the blood and the eating the flesh. That didn't, because they knew this was all covenant language. Are we cool with that? So if I can get you into the covenant language, that's what's being spoken of here. Now that you're there at the covenant language, all right, you might say, okay, that's cool. We know you're talking about covenant, but boy, that still seems a little weird. It seems really primitive. Like maybe they did that thousands of years ago, but we would never do that now. Like, like, listen, everybody, when they had this covenant, when you celebrate, they would really celebrate. Like, this is a big moment. So when you had people who were equal partners, and they entered into a covenant, you would, that, that's awesome. That's cool. But when you had somebody who was like way up here and somebody who's way down here, that was an ultimate celebration because it was like a, a royalty, like a king, like God, entering into a covenant with a commoner, with us, right? And so it was like, oh my gosh. The two are coming together. It was a wild. But you read about this then. You think about this. You're like, oh my goodness, wait a minute. You know, that seems so primitive. How could we celebrate something that seems... I mean, we're progressive 21st century, 21st century Washingtonians. 
How could we ever get our brains like fully wrapped around that? Well, um, John's wife, Tamara, is actually going to help us get our brains wrapped around this real quick. Everybody welcome Tamara Rich. Yes. There she is. Come on, go right front center, front center. Tamara, John, right over here. How long have you guys uh, been married? 12 years. And where did you meet? Uh, high school. That's pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> a couple in the first service met on the Metro, on the Metro. So, okay, that's all right. So here's the cool thing. John and Tamara have been married 12 years, right? So right before your eyes, they're going to renew their covenant, right? Right before your eyes, they're going to read the good. So let's, let's do it. Are we ready to go? All right, here we go. Okay, let's step away. Get, I want everybody to see you. All right, all right, go ahead, come on, come on, go at it. Can you ever see what they're doing? Huh? Oh, yeah. Where did that come from? You guys are 21st century Washingtonians. Why are you applauding? Because even the person who's the most jaded person about marriage looks at that and says, that's awesome. He is in her and she is in him. And we say, yay, that is awesome. And we need more of that in our world. Isn't that awesome? Could you give them another round of applause right here this morning? You're done. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's a real primitive act, isn't it? Something that we can't get our brains wrapped around. And yet, all across this city yesterday, people broke out in wild applause when the covenant was celebrated, ingesting one person into another person. That's the covenant of Jesus Christ. This is what he's offering us. He's saying, I will live in you. I won't give you something that's like a commodity that's eternal life. I will give you myself. I am eternal life. And I will come into your life and transform you. And you will be in me and I will be in you. And that is the covenant of communion. And this communion cost Jesus Christ everything. There is no covenant that is cut without blood. And Jesus Christ gives his blood for us. In just a moment, we're going to have communion. And I want to encourage you. What is it that you need to say to God this morning? You need to say, God, hey, God, whatever it takes, grow my faith, work in my life, Whatever you need to do. I'm going to ask those who are going to help serve communion to come on down. The band's going to come back. I'm going to give you a little bit of logistical information. And then we're going to quiet everything down. The band's going to begin to play. And we're going to just take a few moments and allow God to speak to us. Because there's some business that God wants to do with us in this room. The covenant is very important stuff. Some of you are on the edge like Abraham. Abraham stood at the edge of that land and God said, walk, Abraham, start moving. And some of us are in that exact same location this morning. You're here and you're like, okay, God, you need to show up and you do this and you do that. You need to start answering my prayers and you start figuring this out. And God's like, walk, move. Say to me, God, whatever it takes, grow my faith and begin to step out into that. And when we step out into that, Maybe we'll begin to experience the blessings that come. Faith isn't easy. Faith isn't safe. Faith is very much like exercise. If you're new here, I want you to know in five different locations across this room, there'll be one here, one here, one here, here, and here, five different places. After I pray, you're free to get up whenever you'd like to, to take communion. And what will happen is you'll come to one of these locations, and there'll be a person standing there with a plate. They'll have some bread on it. 
represents the body of Christ, the covenant. And you'll take a piece of that bread and you'll step over to the next person who has a cup and you'll just dip it in that cup. And you can either step aside and eat it, go back to your seat and eat it, whatever you'd like to do. We have people that are uh, at grace all the time who've never been to church before in their life. And uh, this is why we exist. We think it's absolutely awesome. Had a guy talk to me last week. He said... He'd never been to church in his life, and he went with a friend of his out in California, I think it was. It was a number of years ago, and they went to take communion. He didn't know anything, never seen communion before, so he walked up, and there's the guy holding the big, huge cup, and so he just took the cup from him and just downed the whole thing, boom. (laughs) He said uh, he didn't know he did anything wrong. His friend came back. He said, what'd you do? I said, drank the whole cup. He said, oh, my gosh. So he'd never gone back to church since, and so he started coming here about four weeks ago, and I think that's awesome. So we just want you to know that you'll take the bread and you'll just dip it in the cup and then you eat. (laughs) But I also want you to know this, that I think that Jesus Christ is very clear in his communication to us about communion where he says, when you take communion, I will be with you. I just want to emphasize that this is a very serious moment. For some of us, we're at a crossroads. And I want to encourage you to not ignore the moment. If Abraham would have ignored the moment, he would have missed out on so much. And if we ignore this moment, we will miss out on so much. You can't imagine the stuff that God has prepared for you in your life. But you'll never realize it unless you're willing to say, grow my faith. I'm willing to go. Your faith has to be a going faith in order for it to be a growing faith, in order for you to experience all the covenant. So I hope you'll take that very seriously this morning because I strongly believe all across this room that God is at work in many of our lives. Don't allow the birds to come and steal that away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, so much for your word and so much for the encouragement that you give us. Lord, I just want to ask this this morning as we celebrate communion that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup and that all that you have prepared for those, especially for those in the room right now who you're doing serious business with, that you're speaking, you're prodding, you're prompting, you're saying, come on, let's go. I have some really incredible things planned for you in your life. I want to do things way beyond. I want to surprise you with stuff. God, I just pray that we would drive the birds away from us and that we would step, step across that line of faith and that we would begin to experience all the incredible things you have for us. And God, as we take communion this morning, let it be an act of faith. Let it be that moment that we get up and we move. Let it be a symbol and a sign that we're saying to you, Father, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, grow my faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Come when you'd like and celebrate communion. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.